From KHOL, this is Jackson Unpacked, our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, we go dancing, but not country swing. Something else is taking the region by storm and bringing the community together. We had so many people come and dance. It was just so exciting to see, you know, the West really taking to Latin dancing and Cuban salsa in particular. And we talked to one of Jackson Hole's leaders in the theater scene and their work to try and help more people get their ideas up on stage. I always say ideas, they die in the brain. If they do not get out, your brain will eat its young. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Thanks for tuning in today. Right now, our region is hosting the 29th Pedigree Stage Stop Sled Dog Race with $165,000 in prize money. It's one of the hardest races in its type in the world due to the length, elevation, and weather. And this year, one team is a bit different from the norm. Wyoming Public Radio's Caitlin Tan reports for the Mountain West News Bureau. Remy Kost stands behind his sleek dog sled in a tan snowsuit. His partner, Aurelie Dulot, stands by wearing a red flannel peppered with blonde dog hairs, likely from the team of 10 lean, hound-looking dogs hooked to Kost's sled. He's gonna, uh, going out for 30, uh, 20 or 30 kilometers? 20, 30 kilometers, depending on the trail. Kost and Dulot are from France, but now live in Sweden. And Kost and the dogs are here to compete in the pedigree stage stop race. They've been training in the Upper Green, just north of Pinedale, for the last couple weeks. As Kost readies for his training run, one surprisingly can't hear the dogs. Like, there's no barking. Dulot says that's intentional. Less stress we have, we have to, for them and for us. We have time to take care of them, put the booties on and everything. Kost gives them the cue and they take off into the cold winter morning. Okay! Now, Kost doesn't speak much English, so you won't hear much of him in this story. But as Dulot explains, he's determined and dialed. Remy starts at like 4 o'clock in the morning to feed the dogs. There's 31 dogs, so Kost takes three teams out for a training run every day, and the care for the dogs is around the clock. It's a lifestyle, but also a career. Kost is one of the best in Europe for mid-length sled dog races that average about 28 miles per day. So it's time to compete now in the States. If we wanted to keep in winning, in, we would have stayed in Europe. If we wanted to learn more and to change things to continue improving. They flew all 31 dogs here and shipped their blue live-in bus. It's literally the size of a city bus. Well, it's a um, European horse truck that is uh, adapted for like the horses at the back and uh, and humans to live at the in front that we bought and changed to adapt to have be able to have the dogs at the back it's their first time racing in north america and their first time in wyoming seeing cowboys we went into the small restaurant and one guy came and he had the cowboy hat and he was like oh i had to catch my horses they run away and, and we were like oh this is so cool <laughs> 
Coming over here across an ocean isn't common in the sled dog world. Usually racers stick to their continent. Because it's so expensive and it's so crazy and everything. They had to save up and take out loans to make it work. The hope is to stay for at least a year, competing here and in Alaska, then training for the summer and competing again next year, all while living in their big blue bus. Dulat shows the mobile dog kennel in the back of the bus. There's two dogs per cage. And um, they have their little toys that, uh, that they love. Like dog chews. And uh, this is also my uh, massage table. Dulat is a vet, and she massages the dogs every day, up to 30 minutes each. Each dog is treated like an athlete, but also like a family member. Every litter, we choose a name. Uh, we have a, a, th a theme, like uh, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. And so this is Frodo. Frodo is black and white. Frodo, come here, Frodo. He shyly Frodo. climbs out of his kennel onto the table, immediately lying down, awaiting his massage. Ça va, mon Frodo? Back outside in the winter wind, Kost and the team return from their run. Oh, they're here. The dogs are panting and ready for water. Kost talks to Dulot about the outing. He's going to change the wax on his sled skis for the next training run. Because it's not the same uh, snow uh, than we have in Sweden. Here you are more windy. And then Kost feeds the dogs that just ran. He'll get the next team ready now for their training run, only pausing to drink a cup of coffee and maybe a cookie. We found the best cookies ever in the, in the little supermarket there. Oh, like, like the pumpkin and chocolate chip. <gasps> best cookies ever. Which is saying something, because before being a top sled dog racer, Kost was a baker. In fact, he was named one of the best bakers in France. When he puts his mind to something, he gives it everything. This is what makes super athletes or super persons that reach their goals, uh, that was in bakery or sled dogs, or maybe in 15 years it will, be, it will be something else. But now it's just grocery store pumpkin chocolate chip cookies and sled dog racing. Coast will keep training until the pedigree stage stop race kicks off January 26th in Jackson where 15 teams will compete for a $165,000 purse. For Wyoming Public Radio, I'm Caitlin Tan in the Upper Green. Thanks for tuning in to Jackson Unpacked. I'm Tyler Pratt. Mental health issues for Teton County residents could ramp up in the winter months, but locals have a new way to access resources. The region's health department has launched a year-long project with a bilingual web-based platform, Credible Mind. It's a free library of mental health and well-being resources like connections to podcasts and apps and articles on depression, anxiety, burnout, and self-care. I sat down with County Public Health Specialist Francis Walks, and we kicked off our conversation talking about the findings of a recent mental health survey of the region's community. While Teton County has a lot of amazing things to offer and residents can access the outdoors, have great educational access, we also are struggling in areas. Um, certainly mental health, our substance use is high. That's a coping skill that a lot of 
folks here are using. And so it painted a picture for a community in need and in need of some intervention for mental health. And so from a public health standpoint, we really approached that for a population level mental health resource. And so that's what this is. It doesn't have barriers. It's free. It's available 24-7 in English and Spanish. And it'll kind of cast that wide net for someone that's looking to explore their own mental health. Yeah, I think about, you know, the idea of like getting a therapist and how challenging that can be and cost prohibitive and stuff. Mm -hmm. So can this be sort of a, a first step if someone is thinking about taking you know more control over their mental health? Yeah, absolutely. You got it. You got it exactly right. It really is in a way like a self-help tool. So the way it's organized, you'll see topic areas. So you can click on a topic area like anxiety and that page will come up and you can explore the different topics under that. So they might populate some podcasts, some apps, some articles. But the other site feature that I really love that's pretty unique is it has self-assessment tools. So you can go in and um, if you're somebody looking to explore mental health around anxiety, this can kind of help you start to understand the difference between symptoms of stress and more chronic symptoms of anxiety. And then once you take that assessment, it'll point you into tools on the website and also tools that we have locally if you're looking to get that next level of care. This sounds like some pretty personal stuff. Is, is your data safe using this? Yes. Great question. So it is fully confidential and anonymous. And there is a profile that you can make, but that all is still anonymous and confidential. And the reason that you might want to make a profile under it is to keep some of those resources so that you can go back and continue to explore what the site has to offer. It's also evidence-based. It all has gone through peer-reviewed sites. It's great great information that has, um, like their assessments are based on the PHQ-9 or some very clinical assessments that they're pulling information from. What is that? The PHQ-9 is a clinical assessment that if you go to a therapist's office, they're going to use these assessments around anxiety or dependence. And that's what Teton Credible Minds assessments are based off of as well. So what do you hope to accomplish this year with this app? You you started, you said you launched it in May. We're doing a campaign this mm -hmm. year for a year. What's the goal here? We are really hoping to get this into the hands of Teton County um, and really make mental health care accessible to all at any time and provide tools for residents to prevent crisis, really. It really is the the first kind of intervention so that we can help folks get the tools that they need and really kind of start to break down some of the stigma around talking about mental health because we know that that can be difficult for people because it is a personal topic and, it, and they're hard topics too often. Do you feel that conversations around mental health, are they improving in our area? Are they getting worse? What are you seeing maybe anecdotally? Yeah, I'm not an expert for sure, but I, I think that the pandemic, it brought a lot of the things to the surface that maybe were percolating. And we that's where the Teton Behavioral Health Alliance came together. And Mental Health JH was an initiative that was happening that offered um, therapy during the pandemic. And so I think people are getting more comfortable talking about it. And also, there's been great work throughout the community for a long time, but things change. And we want to continue to respond to the needs of our community this is a great way to do that. And you have some incentives for people yes. to use this app? <laughs> Very exciting part. 
People love incentives. So as part of this campaign, any community member that takes a credible mind self-assessment will be eligible to enter a monthly raffle for local prizes. So you do have to make a profile so that you can be contacted. And the outside credible mind management team will be the ones facilitating that to ensure confidentiality around these hard topics. The prizes that we picked were really around social connection because winter is a tough time and it has its own unique challenges. So we tried to pull incentives that would help people kind of battle maybe some of that cabin fever that happens. And so some of the prizes include hot springs, Astoria hot springs tickets or even a class pack to pursue. And really, the community came together on this one. We're really appreciative of their support and also the Community Foundation of Jackson Hole support towards making this a priority area. If someone is accessing their mental health, but maybe having more of a mental health crisis, what are some mm-hmm. resources for them here if someone needs to reach out and talk to somebody? Uh, 988 is going to be a really wonderful resource to know that's easy to remember. And that is the suicide prevention hotline. So you can call 988. And you can access direct, immediate care, and that's available in English and Spanish. There's also a line specific to veterans. The Mental Health and Recovery Services of Jackson Hole also has a crisis hotline that you can call, um, and they provide on-site, on-call crisis counseling for the person that may be in, in a hard spot and really looking to get some next-level care. And they also have Mountain House, which is a drop-in space and their their hours are limited so I would say look at the website but you know again if you're needing care in an immediate way in a crisis kind of situation those are going to be some good resources to start have you gone out into the community and talked to employers or businesses about getting their employees or staff to use this app oh yes people have been incredibly receptive we've been doing outreach with Jacksonville Mountain Resort and Chamber of Commerce. We've been working with guiding companies. People are hungry for this type of thing. I think both employers and community members are seeking to better themselves and support each other. And sometimes we just don't know how. We also don't know always how to start the conversation. It can be personal. And so we don't want to make somebody feel othered or stigmatized. And the reception has been incredible. People are wanting to support each other and wanting to recognize that life can be hard and that there are tools available. And finally, how do you measure success with a campaign like this? That's a great question. So we, one of the unique things about this site is that we can collect data on who's using it internally from the site. So again, it is still confidential and all of that is protected, but we can kind of see who's using it, some of the time periods that maybe people are accessing the site. And then we're going to triangulate that data with some of the data that's coming from uh, the Teton Behavioral Health Alliance. They have data sources that they use, surveys that will be going out. And then also we have a site called Network of Care, and that site collects county-level data and compares us to other counties. So we can kind of see between these different data points if our mental health is improving and really like some of the markers of that, we can compare to see how we're making change. Teton County Public Health Specialist, Francis Walks, talking about a new free service for the community called Credible Mind, which offers mental health and well-being resources. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL, where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jacksonville and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Jackson Unpacked is generously sponsored by the Snake River Sporting Club. 
At nearly 1,000 acres, this private western community accesses the Snake River and Bridger Teton National Forest. Not to mention a golf course, equestrian center, and fully functioning ranch. More information about excursions, amenities, and lifestyle at snakeriversportingclub.com. Thanks for tuning in to Well. I'm Tyler Pratt. Country swing is king in Jackson Hole. The Wild West vibe attracts tourists and locals to spots like the Million Dollar Cowboy Bar and the Silver Dollar Bar for live music and nights of dancing. But there's another style of dance that's taking the region by storm and helping bring different communities together. Cage Wells' Hannah Mersbach reports and gets a lesson at Latin Dance Night. One, two, three, tap, five, six, seven, tap. About three dozen people are spaced out in the Center for the Arts lobby. And music. Getting an informal lesson from Stephen Bolitas. Make a big tap and make it really noticeable. Bolitas is teaching them bachata, a style of Latin dance he picked up while living in Argentina. It's slower than salsa and easier to learn. He tells the group to partner up and grab each other's hands. And this is good tension. Good tension, you can feel. So we're never gonna grab onto anybody like they do in country swing dancing and break their arms and elbows. For over 15 years, the Latin dance community has been blossoming with classes like this and pop-up events in Jackson and Teton Valley, Idaho. There was no Cuban dancing. There was no salsa dancing. So we said, why don't we do it? Jake and Ordia Hodge started the Strictly Salsa program, which grew to also include bachata, after they moved to town in 2008. The couple had danced Cuban salsa with top performers in places like San Francisco and Miami, and brought them as teachers to the dancers' workshop. Ordia Hodge, who's French, says about 80% of the people they know in the Jackson area are through this community. We had so many people come and dance, and it was just so exciting to see, you know, the West really taking to Latin dancing and Cuban salsa in particular. What makes Cuban salsa unique? Jake Hodge says an arrangement called a rueda, where dancers pair up and get in a circle, and someone calls out each move as they transfer partners. The integration, the unity, the excitement, the community that you feel in that Rueda, I think is the thing that separates it from any other dance done around here right now. Lesson time is now over and dozens more people have filled the lobby for a night of social dancing. Carly Ann Edwards is standing on the side talking to some friends. She took a beginner salsa workshop last spring, which she says inspired her. I actually just went to Cuba for Thanksgiving to do some salsa dancing with two of my close friends. Now, Edwards is retaking the level one class to learn how to lead. She says there's not that many art opportunities in Jackson, so she likes to take advantage of all of them, whether that's theater or dancing, and says salsa has opened her up to a whole other community. I've had people that I've known as acquaintances and then I see them in a salsa class and we become closer friends or I've seen my neighbor's babysitter in a salsa class and able just to further connections and build connections within the community. She walks up to someone from her workshop last spring and asks them to dance. Would you want to dance? Sure. Do you remember we were in class yeah, together this spring? Yeah, yeah. yeah, good to see you. Good to see you. Okay. And they're off. 
spinning around the dance floor. Meanwhile, Juan Morales, a dancer and teacher, leans up against the bar. He has a black and orange poncho called a gabon draped around his shoulders. He's been warm and I'm very proud of my heritage. Morales is Mexican-American and grew up in Jackson. And he says it took time to get many in the Latino community to come out dancing. As we started years ago, it's, it's mainly Anglo, but now if you look around the room, there's Latino, there's Central South American, obviously still very much Anglo, some, some French, of course. But he says they're still working to get more people in the community to come out. Strictly Salsa co-founder Jake Hodge says they're trying to make it as inclusive as possible for all kinds of dance backgrounds. A lot of Mexican people dance cumbia. We play cumbia music and they get up and love to dance the cumbia. It's exciting to see that everybody's mixing together. Before the night wraps up, Juan Morales takes me for a spin. I've done some salsa, but I'm new to bachata. What are you doing with your hips? So with my hips, you want to sway them left and right, or back and forth, or out and in. You got to let the hips do the hips. So it's kind of the same as salsa. Yeah, it's same as salsa, just on a different count, different speed. And yeah. the steps are a little bit different. So okay. salsa's back and forth, this is side to side. And then I'm going to dip you gently, ever so gently this way. And we dip <laughs> and we do, and that's it. Woo! And with that, I'm hooked and definitely will be back. Latin Dance Nights are free for anyone and take place monthly at the Center for the Arts in Jackson. For K-12 News, I'm Hannah Mersbach. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. Director, writer, actor, playwright, and stand-up comedian Andrew Munns is a self-proclaimed improviser who says he prefers to keep things loose and off the cuff. In Almost Homeless, Munns' fifth comedy special in just four years, he takes on the unfortunate housing crisis affecting many in modern-day ski towns like Jackson Hole. He recently sat down with KHOL's Jack Catlin to talk about his new one-man show that pokes fun at the seemingly inescapable hazard of losing one's housing in the Tetons. He says he aims to dissect the general concept of home and what makes Jackson such an attractive place to live both in the present and historically. There is always that worry of like, am I going to find something? And I have had so many friends who have had zero plans to leave. Zero plans to leave Jackson, and then suddenly something happens with their housing, and they have no choice but to leave. It doesn't matter how many people like put a, something out on Facebook for them, or you know, hit up friends, or or whatever. Like, it just is an inescapable hazard, and that terrifies me, um, especially as somebody who grew up in this community. And like, I think people still look at me as if I am this kind of transplant person or a super wealthy local that happened to be lucky enough to grow up in Jackson. But the perception, of course, is always a little bit beyond the real truth. Mm -hmm. And I find it very scary to think that, you know, this place where it is really all I know, it's where my mom is here, my sister's here. Like there's so much that, you know, to think that I have to like say goodbye to my brother and say like, I'm going to go live somewhere else. You know, who knows? There's a lot of uncertainty there. It all sounds like very depressing material, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that is how we cope. I think, mm -hmm. I think through comedy is, is it's like the best way to, to look at a sticky situation is to kind of make light of it and realize that life does go on, mm -hmm. you know, it, it can go on. There is life outside of Jackson. It does exist. Uh, or so I've heard. No. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, certainly there is that, that kind of mental struggle 
of do I stay or do I go? Mm-hmm. That has certainly powered a lot of what has gone into this, mm-hmm. this particular show. Well, let's pivot a little bit because I've been really intrigued by some posts you've been making on social media about archival historical things. And I wanted to start with a quote I actually found in J.H. Style from, I think it was 2019. You said, I think Jackson is held back by three things, ignorance of its own past, indecision about its future, and the obsession with the fragile present. Mm. Great quote. Thank you. Props to you. (laughs) Uh, I found this really interesting. You've been posting, like I said, a few archival photos you've discovered when digging into the history of the Pink Carter Theater. What are a couple of interesting things you found and how does the past, in your opinion, inform the future of arts in Jackson? Please allow me to tell you about a woman by the name of Paula Jeffrey. Paula Jeffrey started the Pink Carter Theater. The Pink Carter opened in 1958 at the Jackson Hole Playhouse building. So that was the original Pink Carter. They painted it pink. The outside was pink. And they did melodramas and something called gay 90s reviews. And gay 90s is like a type of theater in which they make light of the 1890s, which was like the era. It's like late Victorian era of the World Fair and like an innovation and new things and like, you know, hot air balloons traveling the world and and exploration, all these things. And so they would make fun of it and dress up in petticoats and stuff. And this would be in like obviously the late 50s, early 60s. And they would like sing songs like Hello, My Baby. Hello, My Darling. You know, it was like family friendly, fun stuff. But it was such a massive success that it was getting press from various places around the United States. There was an incredible article in the Miami Herald about Paula Jeffrey wow. um, and how this little theater in Jackson and uh, was was just blowing up. And there was an article in the Jackson Hole News, this little mention about Pink Arter actor debuts on Broadway. There was an energy behind that theater. And unfortunately, there was so much of an energy that it got sold from underneath Paula. And the building owners ended up selling it to a higher bidder from California. Yeah. Not a familiar story at all. And ended up turning it into a completely different theater and kind of ousting her. And uh, she ended up taking over the parking lot across from the Wart Hotel, which is where the Pink Carter is now. They set up a circus tent and they <laughs> did theater there, but they didn't have anything. And so she got a hundred locals to dress up in gay 90s attire and ransack the old playhouse, the old Pink Carter. And they stole everything. They waited till the owners were out of town and they completely stripped it. And they loaded up 20 trucks and uh, hid them around the valley and got their stuff back. And so I'm looking into this stuff and there is this history that, and when I talk about ignorance of Jackson's past, this is what I'm talking about. Like there are very few people that you can ask in this town that would remember Paula Jeffrey. And those people's memories are so valuable. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to make sure that we carry forward some of this because Jackson used to have a heyday of theater. We had Mm -hmm. three 500 seat auditoriums downtown that were operating seven nights a week. Wow! And that was Dirty Jacks. That was the Jackson Hole Opera House, which became the Jackson Hole Playhouse. And then the Pink Arter Theater. And so There is so much that we need to remember and so much that I feel like it's my responsibility as a kid who grew up here to make sure that that enters into general knowledge. What a great story. All right. So finally, Andrew, Tumbleweed Creative Arts mission is to give local artists the opportunity to share their talents regardless of the genre. Super curious what you have in store for us. What does the future hold for TCA? 
And can we expect some more collaborations with other organizations? Yes. So we have Burlesque coming up in February. I'm very excited about that. And that is being directed by Lauren Arndt and Elise Baker Mumford and Jane Shiner from Dancers Workshop and a group of locals who have all come out for this to perform, rehearse. It's incredible what they're putting together. And that's going to be February 14th through the 17th. On February 21st, which is a Wednesday, is going to be our first open mic stand-up comedy for amateurs and uh so we're gonna put it out there we'll have some early signups as well as some signups at the door we're looking for five minutes of material and it's going to be a, just a ridiculous, fun, hopefully supportive room in which people get to try their hand out at this silly thing that I do. My goal is to basically boost creative volume. I want more creative output in Jackson. I want more people who think that they have an idea but have never really done anything with it to do something with it. And I want to give them that opportunity. What I'm hoping to do is make sure that we give people the tools, give people the stage and the opportunity to really take their own ideas and put them forward. Because I always say ideas, they die in the brain. If they do not get out, your brain will eat its young. And you need to get them out there. You need to keep them alive because otherwise they just kind of vanish. And so we have a very crazy life these days. Everything is very immediate. Everything is very fast and quick and temporary. And I think it's important to remember how creativity is nurtured by time and how time is nurtured by creativity. So that is a big goal with Tumbleweed and it is taking some time, but yeah. uh, we're, we're, we will get there. Director, writer, actor, playwright, and stand-up comedian Andrew Munns speaking with KHOL's Jack Catlin. His new show, Almost Homeless, is taking place both in Teton Valley and here in Jackson. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Tyler Pratt, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.